Hello, everyone. Welcome to Life on Earth podcast. I'm your host, Natalie Krat. I hope you are doing fantastic. And actually, I hope you're doing fabulous in the midst of all the craziness that it's going on in the world. I want you to keep your light shining and see the positive even in darkest hours. It's important that light workers and that people who are leaders, positive thinking minds, stay positive in our community and also be available and being of service. And if you need to do that on an online manner, there's so many things that you can offer. I think it's wonderful. I think it's there's lots of abundance in the world and there's enough for everyone. So hopefully you feel inspired to continue inspiring other people around you and to be a light where you are. Thank you for joining me in today's episode. I hope you enjoy. My special host is Yogini Joan Hyman. Joan Hyman is a world-class retreat leader. She is a yoga teacher and yoga teacher trainer. You can find her in many places around the globe. We will talk about her travels. We will talk about her long life experience with yoga. Joan really lives her yoga on and off the mat. She is quite an inspiration. We worked together at Yoga Works when I lived in Los Angeles. She is also someone who I consider a dear friend. So I'm going to leave you with this conversation, and I am hoping that you have a lot of fun with Joan and I. But before we move forward, this episode is brought to you by Shanti Yoga Training School. I do have a few announcements. Have you checked out our members portal? So the members portal is something that I have been developing for, I would say, about a year. The seed was planted a year and a half ago. And about a year ago, we developed the site and the portal. And very slowly, organically, it has been an organic process because I really wanted to announce it to the world when I felt really comfortable, not only with the technology, but also with the rhythm of the content and the material and being really clear about what I want to put out into the world. It is a wonderful way to stay connected. It is a wonderful way for myself as a teacher to share my teachings. About, I would say, three months ago, it really picked up and it's been entirely word of mouth. For the last month, I've been doing some posts about it on Instagram, so you might have seen it. Before that, it was really people going on my website and clicking and kind of seeing the members portal. It is nataliecrad.com slash members dash portal. So if you go to my website, then you just click on members portal. And we have two parts of the portal. We have light code and we have YACEP, which is continuing education for yoga teachers, as well as deepening your yoga practice off the mat. If you are someone who are, you're not a yoga teacher, but that you want to learn, right, and participate in some of the lectures that are very much a sample of what I teach in my yoga teacher trainings, then you can also do that. It's a great opportunity to hop online, to meet other teachers who are in the community, and to um, really partake in those calls. So, 
the yoga alliance, the continuing education portion of it, I mean, I think we average about 20 people per call or something like that. Light Code's a little bit of a smaller group each time. You can attend the sessions live when I offer them via Zoom. Or you, if you're not available at that time, what happens is for, I would say, 80% of the sessions, you will receive a link and then you can watch it or listen to the audio at any time at your own timing. So what is Light Code? Light Code is where I express myself as an energy healer, also as a yoga teacher in our Monthly Zoom calls have a theme that we explore. We have a Q&A part, and then we also have a meditation, energy healing, distant healing technique that I offer to the community. Last week, we did a full moon clearing. Today, earlier, I had also a session, and we talked. We looked at the coronavirus from a spiritual perspective, not just the coronavirus, but what is going on planetary from a spiritual perspective. And we did a healing and health meditation, which was lovely. So this is just an example. And what is the continuing education other portal YACP? I can give you some examples of some of the topics we have covered. And in fact, they are available on our training school. The topics have been Ayurveda, chakra clearance, awareness and meditation, yoga for a lower back, anatomy, Tea practice, tea ceremony, life as energy healing, the history of yoga, the yoga masters, Krishnamurchaya and his students, hands-on adjustments, yay or nay. Uh, let's see, creating and let go, which I shared with you guys, restorative yoga basics, fundamentals of vinyasa flow, how to teach beginners, the yamas, living your yoga on and off the mat, the niyamas. And Surya Namaskara, also prenatal yoga, variations for prenatal, how to break down sun salutations in general, on teaching beginners. Wow, there's so many. I'm realizing leadership, the art of sequencing. Of course, this is something I'm extremely passionate about, how to sequence, how to well sequence a well-thought yoga class anatomically, of course, and also creating themes. We also have the blueprint of Shanti Yoga Training School sequences, which is, again, something that I'm really passionate and really proud of the work that I have been creating the past years because I really believe that these sequences are very good for your body, for longevity, body, mind, spirit, and it's something I can talk for hours upon. Upcoming topics, we have money and spirituality coming up. We have um, meditation. We have forest bathing, grounding, and anyways, these are just examples. So this is a couple of the announcements I wanted to make. Another one is that Shanti Yoga Training School is alive and well. Per Yoga Alliance, we are now offering the 200-hour training online, at least for this time and moment in our humanity with everything that's going on, everything is shifting to online. So if you want to explore a weekend training, that would be about 25 hours. And we, of course, have an online platform as well as the Zoom sessions, and that could be done online. And that's about 25 hours. And if you want, we also have a 50-hour training, 100-hour training, 
200-hour yoga teacher training school, 300-hour, 500-hour. There's a lot of content online, and there's a lot of meetings and gatherings that are going to be happening these next few months also online, many of them live. What else can I say? On the members portal, once you do join, um, you have access to all kinds of healing techniques, distant healing and clearings, both on the light code part and on YACEP. Now, there is an opportunity for you to join both of those portals at a major discount. Again, just go to my website and check that out. If you like the show, Please support me. Please support Life on Earth Podcast. Leave us a great review. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts. Share this episode with someone you love. And keep listening, right? I love to connect with you guys. If you have any questions, if you have any suggestions, my email is natalie at lifeonearthpodcast.com. I would love to hear from you. And my Instagram is at natalie Kra. And without further ado, enjoy the beautiful, magnificent yogini, Joan Hyman. Welcome to Life on Earth, the Peace Project. A podcast that teaches you how to connect with the divine and transform darkness into light through topics from yoga to nature and ultimately love. Join your host, Natalie Kwa, to celebrate and encourage diversity, peace and global equality, one earthling at a time. Hello, I am here with this yogini fabulous, Miss Joan Hyman. Hi, Joan. Hello. <laughs> Thanks for having me on, Natalie. Oh, thank you so much for being on Life on Earth podcast. It's very exciting to have you. I have known you for many years, and I think we've been really lucky because lately I'm always like, this guest, I'm super excited. Well, one was Annie Carpenter, who you know very well <laughs> just now, like yeah. a couple of episodes yeah. now. And then you coming so soon. So, yeah, it's really good. I'm excited to have you. Thank you. Yeah, of course. My pleasure. Where are you, Joan? <laughs> That's a common question. So I am in the middle of New Zealand on the South Island between a small town called Christchurch and the other town is called Nelson. And it's really a sustainable farming community. And it's one of those places where you go. The first thing I wonder is how the people eat because there's the stores around. And the longer I've been here, everybody lives as community-based and they help each other out. Like there's somebody here that does all the lumberjack work and cuts the firewood and everybody has an organic garden, tons of chickens everywhere. And so this retreat center, which was built by one of my friends who I've known for 10 plus years, you know, he's a genius and he decided to create a sanctuary in this crazy world that we live in today where people can come and really just escape the noise, the stress. And it's pretty much buried up in the hills. Everywhere you look is green. And there's a beautiful river here. And all of the food grows from the land that we're on. So it's pretty amazing. Yeah, I was looking at your Instagram story and it looks so peaceful. I mean, I was like, I want to be there. I saw the chickens running around. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, even just coming here, it's, you go through a whole decompression because you don't realize how used to noise our nervous system gets. 
And so even just like the fact, I have to go sleep with earplugs in everywhere I go. And this is the first place to put earplugs in. And it's just a trip because you also, your mind and your voices in your mind seem a little louder. <laughs> so it's a whole process to kind of get the city life out of you. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm going to backtrack for the listeners to kind of know the story behind the scenes. I have known Joan from Los Angeles for many years. We met while I worked and she worked at Yoga Works way back. I've had some Yoga Works guests on the show, so people are pretty familiar with that. And Joan, so going back to LA, I don't think I asked you that question when I first met you there. Is that where you're originally from? I don't think so, right? No, I'm from Philadelphia. Then I moved to New York. Then I moved to Los Angeles. And how long have you been practicing yoga? 25 years. Wow. Yeah, we're cutting off. Uh, just let everybody know the connection is kind of like a little bit, but we are really kind of worlds apart right now. So <laughs> I'm going to ask the listeners to be a little totally. patient with <laughs> us, but this is worth it. So yeah, 25 years. Yeah, I know you've been at it for a really long time. And one thing, Joan, you're a yoga teacher, you're a trainer, all of that, retreat leader. But one thing I really admire and always have, like since I first met you on you, is I feel like you are such a committed practitioner. Like you're so disciplined. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you're like, you yeah. Know, but it speaks to me. And I feel like it's my duty to feel good, you know, as I start my day. And just from observation, when I practice, I have better days and I feel better. My energy is better. So it's my number one antidote. It's the first thing I do in the morning. Even you know, my main practice is a Shanga. Even on moon days or when we don't have the physical practice, I still will meditate or do uh, pranayama or restorative just so my energy can feel heightened as I move through the day. Yeah. Yeah. So that's what you mostly practice now, Ashtanga Mysore style? Yeah, but, you know, to be honest, I'm getting older. I'm traveling a lot. So, you know, putting my leg behind the head is not quite as fluid as it used to be. So I've been practicing Iyengar, you know, especially coming from yoga work for 20-some years, too. So I add a lot of that into my practice as well, which is great because I love working with the props. Yeah, I'm the same. I do that, too. So, so like, why yoga? How did you get into yoga? You know, I was a dancer in my young 20s. And I was actually introduced to yoga in Philadelphia, where I was from, probably when I was 20 years old. I had a lot of energy. I was very rebellious. And I used my dancing as a way to center my energy and create some containment for it. And my cousin introduced me to yoga. And this was back in the 90s when, you know, you had to go to like a church or a bookstore to find a good yoga class. And so I ended up going to a Shivananda yoga class at the bottom of a bookstore. And I liked it, but it didn't catch me. And then I moved to New York shortly after, and I met a friend who recommended Viva Mukti. And that was sort of flow. And especially back then, I was really looking for something to kind of channel this physical energy that I had. And the Jiva Mukti really spoke to me. And I think after that class, I was hooked. I started trying to go to yoga as much as I can, but it was also purely physical. It was more about cleaning my body, getting that great stretch and all the sensation. And then, of course, it evolved as years evolved in my practice. 
Yeah, and that's beautiful. And so then you moved to LA, and when did you go, like, I want to teach yoga? How did that happen? Even when I was maybe as young as 15 years old, I was a dancer, so I was teaching dance classes. I used to teach aerobic classes to help pay for my dance classes. In New York, it was the same. I would teach at some gyms to make a little money. So I started infusing yoga into my fitness classes and dance classes, but I never had a training. And then I had gotten a show in Las Vegas, and this was really my stepping stone to Los Angeles. And there was a Bikram studio down the street from me. And I remember I didn't have a car and I was like fresh out of New York City and I used to walk everywhere. And if you know anything about Las Vegas, you just don't walk (laughs) the way I did. I spent a lot of time in that studio because it was in walking distance. And I met some teachers that introduced me to the Shtanga Method. It was through that Dave Swenson book. And I have really long arms, long legs, very flexible hamstrings. Primary series and the jumpers came quite easy to me. And she had offered me a group class there at the studio. And it was this hot yoga studio. And I started teaching. I had no idea about the technique of yoga. But I was a dancer. I had a background in fitness. I could come up with the class. And it was great. I mean, it had all of these beautiful dancing bodies from Las Vegas shows in there supporting me. And then somebody recommended that I go to Yoga Works to do my training. And so with a couple of my girlfriends, we used to make road trips in Los Angeles and study with Mati Rossi. And then like that moment I met Mati, I was just mesmerized. And then I ended up shortly moving to Los Angeles and doing her teacher training with Lisa Walford. You did your 200 hour with Lisa Walford, Mati is ratty? Yeah, yeah, in 2002. Wow. Yeah, it was great. That's beautiful. It was such a special time, yeah. So, but that was a schooling for me. And that's when I really like everything that I was feeling was actually put into some sense of a structure with Mati and Lisa. And Mati, I resonated with because of her dynamic approach and her energy. She has, you know, a lot in her. And I think my temperament at the time needed that. And she was also quite strict. That approach really worked well for me. And to this day, I still see Walford, who's also been an amazing mentor to me as well, too. Okay, so I'm going to say what you just said, because we got caught up for a moment. You said to this day, you still study with Lisa Walford when you see her, right? Yes. When I go back to L.A., I always go and take Lisa's classes. Yeah, you know, I did my 300-hour. I had two mentors, and it was Annie Carpenter and Lisa Walford. And that was really, I loved working with Lisa, like really, really do, you know. She's so wonderful. I mean, so great. And she's, I call Lisa the Buddha. And her and Mati were a great compliment. Lisa, as the years went on, and I became softer through yoga. I started to connect with Lisa more. And I really also took to the Iyengar practice. And now I have a relationship with Lisa I always say, you know how there's that saying, what would Buddha do? I feel that with Lisa, like, <laughs> what would Lisa Walford do? Like, to maintain equanimity. <laughs> oh, I can totally see that. I love it. So somebody comes to one of your classes. Is it, well, I mean, I've been to your class pretty recently, actually. It is a flow class, but you're just saying you use the Yangarish like we do, like with 
you know, you teach the alignment basically with the props and all that. Yeah. And long holes and the sequences, there's a purpose that's taking you into this peak closer theme. And something I love about the Ashtanga method is the sun salutations and that idea of breathing and moving at the same time. I think it gets the breath really going. So I think the two together are an amazing complement for each other. Yes, I agree. Couldn't agree more. That's also the way that I teach my classes. We're in our Shanti Yoga training school. We're very alignment-based. And I always talk to people, you know, it's the marriage of that uh, Yangar and the Ashtanga, the breath, the flow, but the long hold and the alignment. I think it's very similar. Well, yeah, we come from the same background, so that makes sense. (laughs) Definitely, yeah. Yeah. So, okay. So then from teaching, I'm just going to fill everybody in. Then Joan was teaching when you and I were hanging out, living in L.A., teaching lots of classes here and there. I saw Joan, like, teaching everywhere. And then, you know, I moved to New Orleans. And ne- <laughs> and the next thing I know, I see you, like, every time I go on your Instagram, you're, like, in a different place on the globe. <laughs> <laughs> No, how did that happen, right? So, yeah, yeah. So where's the jump? Like, I'm curious about that jump, okay? So, I mean, obviously, traveling is beautiful, but I want to hear from you, like, your perspective. How did you decide that you were like, okay, I just want to teach, like, everywhere? Is it because of the travel, diversity, culture? I mean, I know you love all those things, but why is it? You know, I have to say, I really feel something I've gained from my Ashtanga practice is this idea of step-by-step. And just, you know, take things as they come. And I've always loved to travel. I have a very adventurous spirit. But I spent a significant amount of time in L.A. just building because the scene is so intense there. And then as a practitioner after Mati left Yoga Works, I did the next step and I went to India. And I studied with Tabi Joyce and I took three months out of L.A., which was a big deal. But I think it planted a seed in me. And also, I mean, you've been to India and in those types of communities. It's a very international space. And so it really perks your interest to open up and get outside of America and travel. And then I went back to Mysore a couple of years later, and I was starting to get involved in the teacher training program at Yoga Works. And in Manila, Philippines, they wanted to do a Yoga Works teacher training. The only type of yoga that was really being taught down was Ashtanga yoga. And I had been going to India and Philippines is kind of close. So they had picked me or they offered me a training there. And so I went to India and I did the training there. And then I met some really key people that later on opened studios and also had other contacts in Asia. And then a couple of years later, they had booked a teacher training for me to do Geneva. And I actually had kind of met that contact from Annie Carpenter. And through that, I went back to Geneva every year for seven or eight years. But people from other parts of Europe come, they take your class. And then I started doing retreats in different parts of the world and attacking on these workshops. So little bit by little bit, my network expanded. And then when I left Yoga Works and I went to Wanderlust, you know, I spent a couple of years teaching at the festival. Same thing, my network grew. And then at the end of 2018, when I gave up my group classes, and I had gone over 15 years from 10 group classes to three group classes. And as soon as I gave up my last three group classes, it really just opened me up to being on the road as long as I wanted. And this was also over a 10-year span 
of taking those little baby steps that I had just developed this huge network of mainly students that have taken my training from retreats that wanted to get into the yoga world. Like yourself, you opened a studio and a lot of times they would have me come teach. And I've always kept good relationships with people. Year after year, I find myself coming back and we just continue to grow our relationship and collaboration. Yeah, now I'm on the road all the time. <laughs> now you're on the road all the time. So yeah, you were saying that you were working for some of the Wonderlust festivals and then the Wonderlust studio. Were those the last three classes that you had in LA that you were just talking about? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, so Wonderlust had come around in 2015. You know, they opened that big studio and it got me out of yoga works. Yoga works was great, but the thing is with yoga works, it's one of those jobs that you're so comfortable at your classes are packed, the trainings pay well. So it's very hard to actually leave. And there's something to be said when you don't have that cushion, you actually put yourself out there a lot more. And so Wonderlust was a really big stepping stone for me to help go out there on my own. And also when I went to Wonderlust, I was also surrounded by a much bigger pool of yoga teachers that had had their own trainings and were more in charge of their own businesses. It was also schooling for me to be there for those couple of years. Yeah. And now that you are, like you said, you have this freedom, right? But you have to do your schedule. You're your own business, right? So you do your scheduling and you have this freedom. So you plan ahead. And do you even have a, an apartment still? I mean, how does that work? Are you just like <laughs> <laughs> traveling? Well, you know, interestingly enough, when I did give up my group classes, I got involved with my partner who I'm still with now, and he's a tour manager for Above and Beyond. So they're a pretty big DJ group, and he's on the road all the time as well. And so we spend our in-between time signing each other in different parts of the world <laughs> and visiting each other. Like after Nepal, I go to London to see him. And I moved down to his house in Silver Lake. And it's been great because I still actually do keep my apartment in Beverly Hills. But I just rent it out. Oh, so you do go back to L.A. once in a while still? Yeah, L.A. is my home. And maybe I'm probably there four months out of the year. In the summer, I'll be there for two months. And I still, when I go home, I sub for certain teachers at Yoga Works. I'll do some workshops at Yoga Works. I still have privates, believe it or not. So L.A. is still a good home base for me. Yeah. And what are the countries that you have visited? Just give us like maybe like five or just a few this best year. <laughs> well, I can give you five in the past five months. So right now I'm in New Zealand. Before this, I was in Philippines. Then I was in India for a month. Then I was in Belgium. And then my boyfriend and I went skiing up in the French Alps. <laughs> nice. Nice. So that's five since December. <laughs> that's awesome. I just got back from skiing in Telluride. That was really fun, too. Oh, the, yeah. I'm sure that was beautiful. Yeah, I love the French <laughs> Alps. I love the French Alps. So the reason I was asking you that question is because I wanted us to see a variety of places that you go. And even the ones that you just mentioned right now, you know, very different, like French Alps to Indonesia to India. <laughs> so, you know, on a cultural, like, diversity level, you love that, right? Like, you love seeing all kinds of different cultures, don't you? Yeah. And, you know, I think it's in my soul. As a young child, I grew up in Philadelphia where there's a lot of culture. And I was always very fascinated by other cultures. And Philly is like a big melting pot. 
I always was pulled to the French language and the French culture. You know, I loved history. I was also never into cliques. It was really important for me to kind of hang out and be an individual. And at a young age, I started traveling for dancing. And so pretty much by age 22, I got used to being on an airplane to go do some jobs. And yeah, my soul just loved it. I mean, I really felt like my soul expanded when I was in a place that I didn't know. And there's something very exciting about the unknown, which I think my soul embraces, as opposed to kind of the everyday life that some of us feel very safe in. My soul actually feels very squished with that routine. That makes perfect sense. And I mean, I'm asking this question because I want the listeners to really kind of get a flavor for you and who you are, because that's exactly how I see you. Ever since I first met you, I mean, you know, I'm half French, half Brazilian. And I remember when we first met way back and you were like, yeah, you're from Brazil. And you were like, you know, I was like, ah, this girl is like, she's a world traveler. She's like, I totally get that from you. I almost feel like you're really look at you as you're a citizen of the world. Like you're very global, you know, you're very accessible for different cultures. Well, and all of my friends, all of my boyfriends, everybody's been from different countries. Yeah. And I think this is part of the reason why I love working in groups because I get to meet people from all over the world. And with yoga, you have to let your mask go. And I'm really passionate about this idea of just a melting pot where everybody can kind of like get to know people that aren't in their everyday life and really open their perspective up. I mean, I think this is the approach to unity that we all need in the world. Mm -hmm. I completely agree. So you would say that one of the biggest things about traveling for everyone would be to open their perspective and their viewpoint of everyone so that we can be more accepting of each other. Totally. For example, I've been going to India since 2006, and I've started taking people there in 2012. And that's always a perfect example. I have this saying, everybody wants to bring their house to India, meaning like they want to eat their Western food, they want to sleep in their Western bed, they want their Western hot showers. But it's like, you know, when you're in a place, you learn to adapt. And that's how you really absorb what that culture is offering. And you may not get the luxuries of the Western world in India, but there's a humbleness in India that is found there that's not found in the Western world. And it's part of the reason why I try to go to India yearly because it reminds me to let my ego go. So sometimes when people are so attached to all of their things, it's like they're forgetting the whole process of why we're here and why we're traveling and how to really truly open up. So yeah, I'm very passionate about helping people open up and open their beliefs up as well, too. So would you say that that's one of the things that moves you to do retreats all over for when your students like, what is it that you're passionate about doing these retreats all over? Well, first of all, I'm really passionate about having people feel really good in their bodies, feel really good in their vehicle, understand how to practice and take their practice with them understand how to eat like a whole you know, nutritional-based diet, and also to get out of the box. I think when we're in the box and something that I'm noticing, especially when I go back to LA, people will schedule an appointment to have lunch with me like three weeks ahead of time, and everything is the schedule, and they're fixated on this, and blah, blah, blah. And what that does is just narrows your perspective 
perspective and you forget to live from that soul-based place. When even just taking people into these places like Nepal and India, where there is this kind of like intense survival mechanism and to see them let go of that rigidity. And it's amazing because their eyes light up and there's a spark that is there that wasn't there when they initially came to the trip. So that's why I do the retreats, because I feel like it ignites people's spark again. It gets them to really connect to the true meaning of life. Yeah, and I'm sure that it's pretty clear, like you can see the transformation from day one to the last day, right? Yeah, and it's not an easy process. And I think there's always a couple of days where people go through letting go of a lot of attachments. And what the practice is teaching us is to fully be committed and connected to each moment. And it's one thing to do yoga and then kind of get in your car, get on your phone and go back into your daily routine. But it's another thing to really do yoga and sit and be in nature, be in a place that is very unknown to you and really start just explore all these aspects that you haven't known about yourself. And when you travel, you get to know all these aspects of your personality. And so, I mean, every time I travel, I pick up a new faucet of who I am. And I just took a group to Goa and to see people from all over the world come. And by the end, you can see like Goa has a very free spirited energy. Like all these people were just like open and their hearts were open. The way they were dressing was different. The look in their eye was different. And yeah, to me, that turns me on and it keeps me coming back for more. <laughs> yeah. And my question too is you're a yoga teacher and especially with retreats and leading retreats and all that, it's very inspirational. Like I'm hearing you speak and I'm very inspired by you. So you inspire a lot of people. So how do you keep yourself inspired? And do you feel like it's important for you to be inspired so that you can inspire your students? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And I really love to live from a more creative place. So with my scheduling, I prefer to work intensely and then take, like I took three weeks off in December. I'll have a couple, three weeks coming up in April, and then I'm going to probably have a little over a month off in the summer. So I try to organize these times where I could just really get back into myself, like let the intensity of the teaching and the traveling go. I spend a lot of time in nature as well, too, decompressing. So I can operate more from that creative place. And it just also reminds me why I love to do what I love. And of course, I walk the walk. I live the life of a yogi. I do my practice. <laughs> I'm a vegan. And I also try to continually evolve, whether it's the spiritual practice, therapy, even just being with my partner for three years. I mean, that's a spiritual practice, just being in a relationship. So I'm very committed to doing the inner work and looking at myself and seeing what inner work I need to continue to step out and do what I do. That's beautiful. That's really beautiful, Joan. Oh, thank you. <laughs> it's inspiring. Yeah. So for teachers that are, I feel like there's so many people that want to do retreat. There's so many teacher trainings now and people graduate and people want to do retreats and they think it's very glamorous. And I want to ask you this question because I feel like if anyone, you'll be able to answer this. Like, so for someone who's starting and they're wanting to do retreats, is there some advice that you have for these new graduates or newer yoga teachers? Because I know it's not all rainbows and butterflies. There are some hardships with that as well, right? Oh, yeah. So definitely something I'm learning is authenticity takes time. And the slower you move and going back to that step-by-step -step process and really working with baby steps, 
teachers that I have seen that have come out of the trainings and just hit the road running, within a year or two, they're burnt out. The key to longevity as a yoga teacher is your content and information that you can offer to your students. To teach a teacher training takes a whole different skill set than it does to teach a group class. And there's something very special that you get from that daily grind of teaching group classes. I remember for like eight to 10 years, that's all I did was teach group classes and private. And I know you did this too, but it really hones your teaching skills because you're just working with the same students all the time. So your sequencing is improving, your hands-on adjustments are improving, your vocabulary is improving. And then when you teach trainings, it's like you have all of that great experience just from being in, and I like to call the group classes like a laboratory, like you're in this laboratory, just getting your material together so that when you do go onto a bigger platform to lead retreats and trainings, you just have a lot more skills to offer. And so, you know, then if you think of your skill set as like your fuel for your career, then you have so much more longevity to offer. And you're pulling in a different mindset. If someone's going to take a teacher training or retreat, they're paying a lot more. So they're going to expect a lot more. And so if you're a novice, a lot of times you can't meet the expectations. So it's like you're kind of doing something so prematurely where you're really not creating an energy that's long lasting. So I find if you're patient, you do the work, you have the skill set. By the time you step into these bigger platforms, you'll be ready. And I think things will unfold in a lot more fluid of a way when you're really ready. And that energy is attracted much more easily to you. Yeah, these are such good points. I mean, you brought up such good points. I love when you said authenticity takes time. That's really beautiful. You know, and I had started looking at people that were authentic in my, you know, in my perspective. And one thing about these teachers that have been in the spotlight for a long, long time and that most people consider to be authentic is they've all taken their time. It's been a very slow burn. Yeah. I mean, you had a mentor that's just ridiculously amazing and authentic. I mean, Mati, she was so amazing. If you had something to tell her, what would you say? Oh, I love Mati. It's so (laughs) funny. I've been thinking of her a lot lately. Because last year at this time, I saw her down in New Zealand. And it was very ironic because over the past 20 years, I still sought out opportunities to go study with her. And I had a job get canceled last year in February. And she just happened to be in New Zealand the same time I was. And she was like, yeah, come take the training. She didn't charge me. I took the training. She made me demonstrate like every 10 minutes. (laughs) And I really got a chance to spend time with her, go out to dinner with her. And then she died in July. And I think she knew this, but I was always so grateful for her inspiring me on this path. When I had met her, my energy was very displaced, uncontained, all over the place. And Monty, you know, she just really taught me yoga and she offered me the skill set to help me understand how to get on track with my life. And even with my teaching, her energy is so much in me because she was really my first formal teacher. So like I said, I still feel her today. Just a big thank you. And just a thank you for really holding the stage to what it's like to really walk the walk and be authentic with what you do and be an amazing role model for other teachers. 
Thank you for sharing that. I know it's a touchy subject because, you know, many of us, it's still so fresh in the yoga community that her passing was so, she was so young. It's challenging. There was a point I couldn't even talk about it, but now it's like just hearing you say that. And I believe that she's somewhere and she's listening to this and hopefully we're bringing a smile to her spirit wherever she is. So thank you for sharing Mm. that. I really appreciate it. And it really warms my heart as well, because she was a huge inspiration to me as well. I have a student in my training, so we do these Q&As, and I actually have a question that I think I'm going to pass the baton to you. One of the questions I had was, why is meditation so hard? I get this question a lot, because when they're in the training school, they're required, well, their advice to meditate. Meditation needs to be a part of it. And the question we get a lot when we do our Q&As is, they have to submit a question is, everything is going really well, but when I sit, my mind just doesn't stop and I'm having a really hard time meditating. Is there anything that you can tell me? Is there anything that I can do? Why is meditation so hard? Is there like a little formula? And I'm like, oh my God, that's a question. (laughs) I want to know if you have any insights. Well, the nature of our mind is quick. And it's not that we're trying to stop our thoughts in meditation. We're trying to take the hooks out of our thoughts that keep us on this train, you know, the storyline that our mind is constantly reciting to us. And this is really the ultimate practice of yoga. Everything else is just preparing us to learn how to control our mind and just sit with ourselves. I think for a lot of people, it's hard because it's just the beginning. And I think if we actually can tell people, Yeah, probably the first year or two of meditation is going to be hard. Maybe do a silent retreat so you just kind of get the hard stuff out of the way. And then what happens as soon as you can get past that front part of the brain, that is the monomaya kosha and always just naturally very busy, then that's when the meditation starts to become blissful. And there's more of a positive experience because you tap into a deeper sense of quietness. But just like anything, it takes a lot of time. And it'll probably take like a good year just to slowly start to find those pauses, those little tiny micro pauses between each thought. And so the more we can practice that, and it's part of the reason why you have to be so consistent with your meditation practice, then that pause between each thought that helps us move into the higher mind can begin to increase. And then when you start to meditate, your nervous system starts to get familiar because, you know, you're creating different neuroplasticities as you meditate. The more you meditate, it makes it much easier to tap into those pathways where your system is in the parasympathetic and the mind is quiet. You're behind that front part of the mind, but it takes a long time to really learn how to elicit that. And also with meditation, you're dealing with the nervous system. And I think for a lot of us, because of the chronic stress in our world, a lot of people are on fight or flight, like constantly. And so when they close their eyes, the amygdala is still going and the amygdala is so quick and that's what's firing up all those thoughts. And so part of the practice of meditation is shifting into the parasympathetic and the constant fight or flight, it could take an hour. And so I think that's what people have to realize. Like, you know, and for someone that has a pretty good balance, It usually takes at least 20 minutes to get out of that fight or flight and into the PNS. And I think as a new practitioner, just kind of understanding the nervous system will help them with their meditation practice as well. 
Yeah, I love what you just said, because then you really, if you look at it from a scientific perspective, it is really a process. And also, there is all these things, like you're saying, the nervous system, the fight or flight, these are real things that are happening in a very physical way. So that's something for you to drop into the different layers of the koshas and all of that, that's going to take some work is just going to take some sitting and going through it and understand that you're not alone, that this is happening to many of us. This is just a part of the journey, I guess. It is just on a scientific level, there's these things that are actually, they're impediments, they're happening. Especially people who live in big cities, going back to like, you know, the big cities, the schedules, like you were saying before, scheduling lunches four weeks ahead. I mean, this is a very different rhythm, <laughs> you know? <laughs> I mean, these like lifestyles are very like, the rhythm is just really intense. Yeah, in these big cities. Yeah, and also, I mean, for me too, because I lived in New York for, you know, I grew up in Philly, lived in New York. And then it wasn't until I got to LA where I started meditating, but I couldn't meditate. I was just so hyper from being in these big cities. And so what helped me was I developed a restorative practice first, and I actually had to learn how to lie there and do nothing. And then I would sit up and just start my meditation practice 10 minutes at a time. And so when people have a hard time, I often tell them to try to do 10 to 20 minutes of restoratives before they do their meditation. Really good idea. And also, so do you offer meditation your retreats? Yeah, yeah. And meditation for a lot of people, it is the hardest, but usually in the afternoons. But I always do restorative and pranayama before him. So Joan, what is your morning routine? Do you even have one? Oh, yes. <laughs> My morning routine takes three hours. <laughs> so I study Ayurveda. So I get up very early and I scrape my tongue, first thing I do, brush my teeth, and then I drink warm water with lemon, and I put apple cider vinegar in it, and then I have some black English gray tea with some almond milk, and then I do my ashtanga practice, and then after that, I do dry brushing, and if I have time, I'll put oil on my body, I'll do the abhyanga, take a shower, I do a cold rinse to wake up, and then I have a cup of coffee, <laughs> and then I go teach. <laughs> yeah. 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 So it's quite a full morning. <laughs> when do you meditate? When do you fit in that? Well, I do it with my practice. So what I do is in my Ashtanga practice, I do two hours, but really it's that last 30 minutes where I'll do a lot of pranayama and I blend the meditation together. And then sometimes if I have time in the afternoons, I will follow up and do another meditation. Okay. Okay. Wow. Very cool. So besides all this yoga stuff, what is it that <laughs> lights you up? What is it that you love when you're not doing all this yoga stuff? I love nature. I love the sun. I really do try to schedule myself so I'm in summer all the time. And I love good vibes. I think part of the reason why I do what I do is because I love people. I love interesting people, out-of-the-box people. I like going to yoga festivals. I like to kind of explore alternative living. <laughs> yeah. You love music. I was going to say, you love music and I you love, love music, dancing. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> mm -hmm. 
Yeah, when you met me, I was with a DJ, and now I'm with a tour manager who manages DJs. So it seems to be in my energy field. Yeah. <laughs> That's what I was thinking, exactly. You know what? I want to go out dancing with you next time we're in LA together. Yeah. <laughs> that is fun. For sure. <laughs> I always like that with you. <laughs> yeah. No, I believe because I love my yoga, but you know, yoga moves in a very linear way where there's something really nice about these community fun field festivals and going to these EDM places where you can dance and really let go. And I actually have gone to some ecstatic dancing recently. And I just feel like our body needs to move in that very feminine, very circular way. It's a great balance for all the yoga. Yeah. So you mentioned like Ayurveda. Do you try to eat like along the Ayurveda principles? Do you pay attention to the seasons and all of that? Definitely. Yeah. No, I'm very in my body. You know, sometimes I will go off. It really depending where I'm at. And depending where I'm at, if I do go off my diet and it's the right time of the season, I just listen to my body. And if my body gets bloated or gassy, I just know that that food's not for me. But yeah, I follow Ayurveda. So pretty much, you know, I have a lot of vata with all my traveling. So I really try to eat warm foods, tons of vegetables all the time. In the summer and when it's warm, I definitely cater more towards salads and fresh foods, juices, smoothies. And I also have, you know, from spending so much time in India, I love my dolls. You know, I love Indian food, but I love the stuff that comes more from like kitchery, more from the Ayurvedic recipes. But the retreat I'm leading now is an Ayurvedic detox cleanse. Oh, you're in a retreat. So right now there's a retreat going on where you are. Yeah, I'm leading it. It's starting oh, okay. today. Yeah. But, okay. but that's what the education is going to be about. Yeah. Ayurveda and detoxing. Yeah. Because that place is pretty paradise. So that's awesome that you guys are doing a retreat there. I wasn't sure, you know, if you were doing a retreat there. Yeah. I just made an amazing kitchery just a few days ago and I ate it for like three days straight. I love kitcheries. <laughs> I love Ayurveda too. It's, well, it's and it awesome. Works. Yeah, yeah, it works. And it, especially when you practice a lot of yoga, I mean, you have to have a diet that complements it. And so just yogi to yogi, I mean, you have to have a sattvic diet and food that is easy to break down in your system. Yeah, sattvic. You said sattvic. Yeah, balanced. Can you tell them about that? Like sattvic balance, harmony, right? Yeah, and foods that are easy to break down. Part of the reason why I became a vegan is because it was better on my energy system. You know, I mean, a piece of meat takes a couple days to really break down in your system. And even in Ayurveda, they do recommend meat, but it's not like the way we eat it in America. It's a very small portion, almost like an appetizer. And so I think it's important when you're eating to be very mindful of not stuffing your face, <laughs> eating to a place where you know, you feel balanced, you feel satiated, but you know, you're not like unbuttoning your pants. And also that warm cooked soft food, whether it be porridge, I love like warm sweet potatoes, the dal, steamed vegetables. And there's something nice about just simplicity as well too. And just actually keeping the natural flavors of the food, which are so much easier for the digestive system to break down. Even clients have told me that they've started being a vegan and within a year, you know, at first you always feel like you're detoxing. And then after a year, their energy feels so much lighter. But you have to learn how to feed your body so you still make up for all the resources that meat can offer and stuff. 
Yeah, it's really transformational and it makes you feel so much better. I mean, it's just so amazing. So with all of this traveling, I have to ask you this question because this is very relevant to the world right now. Do you have any perspective on the coronavirus or like what's going on around that part of the world? Is there any talk about it? Oh my God, totally. I just came from Asia and I've had two jobs in Kuala Lumpur and Hong Kong that got canceled because of it. The Wonderlust festivals have all been canceled. I know so many teachers, especially in Asia, who their jobs this whole year have just been canceled. My Nepal trip, I almost had to cancel, but we stuck with it. So, I mean, if you really read between the lines and really look at the statistics, the people that are being affected are the elderly, people with pre-existing conditions, people with lung conditions. And like I said earlier in the podcast, part of the reason I'm so dedicated to my practice and my morning routine and my diet is I feel like it's our responsibility to be healthy. Like when I have students come into class sick and they're blowing their nose and there's tissues everywhere, like you're not really being responsible for your health by coming into a public place and just kind of spreading your sickness. And then when I talk to the students, I ask, are you taking anything from it? You know, have you gone to the health food store? And a lot of them say no. And so I think this is very symbolic about where we're at as a society as far as taking care of ourselves. And I think if you're a younger person who's healthy, you don't have to be worried about the coronavirus. I think you just continue to follow the guidelines, washing your hands, not touching so many people and places. But the paranoia, I think, is creating the biggest epidemic And I can't believe it. And just even my boyfriend's in the music business and everything that's starting to be shut down, it's going to have a big impact on our economy. And some people will disagree with me and say that it's good everything is being shut down. But I also feel like we have to keep living our lives and we have to keep committed to our health. I'm really hoping this is going to be a big turning point once we get through this big epidemic about the coronavirus right now. And maybe in China, they'll stop eating wild animals, you know? <laughs> well, that would be a really good idea. <laughs> I mean, seriously, <laughs> let's not even go there because that's like a whole podcast in itself. But seriously, yeah. Well, well said with all of that that you just said. Well said. And again, I appreciate that. That's a great health tip. I think a lot of us are going to learn from these wise words of Miss Joan Hyman. So, I really appreciate it. So with your morning routine, what time do you usually get up? And what time do you you go to bed early or late? How does it work? You're going to gag. So when I'm doing a teacher training, I get up at five in the morning. Yeah. And I go to bed at nine. But then when I'm back home in LA, and especially it's so funny couples, my boyfriend's a night person. And so when I start going back to LA and also in the cities, I'll go to bed at 11 and I sleep until 6.37. But I rarely sleep past 7 a.m. Yeah, you're on the yogi schedule. <laughs> well, it's, it's inspiring, Joan. I mean, it's awesome. I love it. I love it. Like, it's a very healthy lifestyle. You're beautiful. We didn't even talk about that. You are gorgeous <laughs> outside, and you're beautiful inside and outside and outside and inside. <laughs> you're awesome. So it's just, <laughs> Thank it's <you>, awesome. <laughs> so if somebody that's right now listening to all this, okay, I want to go meet Joan. What's coming up next? Is there any Anything that we need to let people know? What's the uh, next retreats or where should they find you next? Yeah, I have a lot going on. So my trip right now is starting to wind down, but I'm going to be back in LA for the summer. And I have some workshops in Los Angeles, Philadelphia on my way home. 
And then in the late summer, I'm offering a retreat in Topanga Canyon in Los Angeles. Ooh, that's right up my alley. I love that. Ooh, yeah, I'm look it up. <laughs> Perfect. And it's a weekend retreat, so it's easy. And then I'm also doing something in the south of Spain at the end of September. I am putting together a yoga school, which has been a big project for me. And I'm crossing over with certain teachers. And I'm really trying to make this yoga school a pathway into helping other teachers find their niche. And it looks like I'm going to be running a lot of my modules and intensives out of Goa, India. So I have a 300 and a 200 hour coming up January and February of next year. And this is your school? It's their retreat center, but my school. Wow. And the good thing about when I do it at Goa, India, I can create a whole experience. Adding kirtan, sound baths, great, amazing body work. And you have great vegetarian food all day long. So Congratulations. I'm really excited about this. This is thank you. Thanks. It's something that's been emerging for a long time. That's really cool. Thank you, Natalie. And maybe one day you and I will collaborate together. On I would love too. that. Yeah. And I'm trying to make a place where us teachers that have been in this for 25 years can really team together. And I think what's happening with this expansion of yoga is the actual yoga itself is getting a little diluted. Oh, Not even yes. A little, very diluted. Oh, yes. So I- <laughs> okay. Let me just pause for one second and say it's so weird that you use that word because yesterday I was sitting and I was thinking, you know, I think yoga is getting a little too diluted for me. I'm just thinking this right now. Okay. So go ahead. <laughs> So I've been talking to a bunch of teachers because it's a difference with the teachers that have been doing this for 15, 20 years. We just got into it when there was no social media. And in order to learn, you had to go seek out a teacher. So, you know, I'm hoping to really collaborate. And that's also what I'm doing. Like I'm offering if they want to cross modules and go study with Jean or Simon or you, and then they can also do part of my stuff in Goa. And so they're getting a different perspective from different teachers, but something that we all share in common is our longevity and our experience with the practice. Yeah. And I love that you are saying that you want to create an experience. And I think that that's so powerful. I do want to say this, that yoga teacher trainings, the reason why I continue to do them is I absolutely love me. I'm like you, I try to create an experience, body, mind, spirit on and off the mat. And I see the transformation, like when somebody goes in and when they're coming out on the other end, and it's just so magical. And it's got this ability to clean your practice to, we were talking earlier about what happens like to get you meditating. There's a process. I feel like it helps you with that process. There's the community to support you. There's inspiration from a teacher, especially if it's a teacher, like you said, like you, that authenticity comes with time, you know, and so To me, it's a very valuable experience, and I think it's a really powerful investment, and I think it's a really good thing for people to do. I mean, I'm not against yoga teacher trainings. I think they're wonderful. I just want to see better yoga teacher trainings, ones that are really legit and that are doing this that we're talking about, you know? It's awesome. Yeah, and I think this is also what really changes people's lives and what leaves an impact on the world. Yeah. And whether you want to teach yoga or you just want to do it to deepen your practice, 
I mean, it's irrelevant. It doesn't matter either or. Like some of my programs, sometimes like I'm like, I shouldn't even call it the teacher training because there's people who want to go through it just to immerse yourself in the yogi. You know, like you went to India and you had that opportunity. I went to India. I had that opportunity. We met someone like Mati, blah, blah, blah. But not everybody had that. So sometimes for me, it's like, Creating that experience for someone who just really want to merge themselves and learn about Ayurveda and all the things we're talking about and the kirtan and the meditations. And it's like, whoa, you know, if you have the opportunity to be with someone like that for whatever time, right, X amount of time, it's life changing, life changing. And your retreats are that too, what you're doing. It's amazing. I love it. And you're bringing people to these gorgeous places on the planet, on planet Earth. So that in itself, it's like so transformational. So how can people find you? I know IG, but let's talk about your website and Instagram, if you can tell us. So everyone, and I'm sure people are going to want to find you. Oh, and let me also add this before we go there. I was talking to Joan just for like, we talked for like a little bit before we press play on recording, but on our Shanti Yoga training school, we have a handful of teachers that are mandatory for our students to take classes with online. And they're not that many. They're like less than 10. And Joan Hyman is one of them. So I'm going to invite everybody who hasn't already to check Joan online because I know you have a lot of online classes as well, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So, well, you can go to my website, joanhyman.com, and I have an online course that you can download. I also have five bundles and some podcasts you can download. I have something coming out with Yoga International soon. I think it should be out like in a month. So my website's joanhyman.com, and everything's on there. And pretty much all of my social media channels are Joan Hyman, too. My Facebook is Joan Hyman Yoga. And I post regularly. That's how you can figure out where in the world I am. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, and I'm pretty accessible online. So you can always drop me an email. Just email me from the back page of my website with any questions as well. Okay, that is perfect. And Joan, I really appreciate your time, you taking the time in a retreat and where you are to share your energy with us. And I feel It's like such a blessing. You just made my day because I feel really good just by talking to you. So I just love your energy. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, Natalie, I love you too. (laughs) Love you. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for being a part of Life on Earth podcast. Thanks so much for listening to this episode. I hope you enjoy Miss Joan Hyman. Connect with her. And check out the members portal that I told you guys in the beginning of the episode. If you join Light Code today, you will have access to many clearings and healing techniques that are already available on the members portal. So go to nataliekrat.com, look for the tab members portal and go from there. All right, guys, be well, be safe, lots of health, lots of healing light to you wherever you are on our beautiful planet Earth. Let's take care of each other. Let's take care of all beings and let's take care of our home, Mother Earth. Namaste. Namaste.